Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the latest episode of the Apple TV Plus TV show, Severance, called Hide and Seek. Just a reminder, Apple Plus TV is available for four months for free from Target. So do take advantage of that deal if you haven't already signed up for Apple TV Plus or don't currently have a subscription. And later in the episode, I do give high overview impressions of two thrillers that became available this weekend, Master on Amazon Prime and Deepwater on Hulu, both worth watching for very different reasons. Master being a very ambitious and stylish horror drama and Deepwater being uh, very stylish and uh, occasionally sexy, kind of a throwback to those erotic thrillers of the 80s and 90s. Pretty trashy in the end, but definitely interesting. And I do review it a little more deeply at the end of this episode. Before we get to it, the usual calls to action. Make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available. If you'd like to support the show, give us a review, especially if you're listening to us on Podcast Addict or Overcast. We do need more reviews on there. We'd appreciate it. And drop us an email, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Sona does love getting your emails. If you'd like us to read them on the air, just let us know an email and we can read it in the future. Or if you'd like to leave us a voice memo, just record a memo in your voice memo app and then attach it to an email. Once again, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And what are your theories? This is a very mysterious show, obviously. There's a lot of speculation as to what might be going on. We have our theories. We'd love to hear yours, and we can include them in a future episode. Lastly, we're just two weeks away from starting our Moon Knight recap. And probably as early as next week, I'll give you a episode where we're catching up on Marvel and giving you a little background on Moon Knight before we dive into that recap show as well. So I hope you stick around for all of that. We do appreciate the support, and let's get into it. Are you alone? Yeah, it's just me. I used to teach at this school. I know. Who are you? Come with me. Today, we'll be covering the latest episode of Severance, which is called, it's called Hide and Seek. <laughs> While I get my shit together here, Sona, <laughs> what do you think hide and seek means in the context of this? Because there's not that much hiding and seeking here. Yeah, I actually didn't notice the title of this episode, and I usually do note those things. Let's see. I guess there is some hide and seek that the... Uh, is it MDR, data refining, macro think... data refining is doing from mm -hmm. management kind of, right? They're kind of trying to define things and to hide from management. Actually, I guess that's actually true. Now that I think about it a little more deeply, I'm thinking about hide and seek, like literally the game of hide and seek. But I think you're right because macro data and potentially um, O&D as well are hiding stuff mm -hmm. from Lumen. And Lumen, of course, is seeking out a few different people here by the end of the episode. Right. So there's that. <laughs> and my apologies, my apologies to you and to the audience. I think 
my allergies kicked in when I was traveling. <laughs> so I might be a little uh, more nasal than usual. Well, I don't want to alarm you, but you might want to do a rapid test. <laughs> I was thinking that myself. Um, I was also very tired yesterday, but I'm not, not today. So, but it is possible that it was COVID. A lot of people feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Okay. So hide and seek episode number six. And uh, before we get into the granular breakdown, what'd you think of this episode in general? I was actually relieved because, <laughs> you know, last week I felt like I was reaching a limit with where those stories were going and it was getting a little bit too surreal, absurd, whatever you want to call it for me. Uh, this week I felt was a vast improvement. I liked the change in tone. I liked the change in pace. I liked the change in the plot points. Uh, all of it, you know, seemed to be tying back to those earlier episodes of the show in a better way, at least as far as keeping my interest going in how all of this is going to resolve. I'm happy we didn't open any new doors in that basement level of Lumen and find whatever random thing they want to put back there. Um, so all around, I felt like this was a really nice shift uh, in, in pace and tone and plot, all of it. How about you? This is my favorite episode, I think, of the show so far, uh, which is hard to say considering, you know, that some of that setup that we had early on is, you know, doing a lot of heavy lifting. But mm -hmm. I still prefer this, you know, just as a watching experience, just the, it was so dense with things and it pays off so many things that have kind of been building to this moment, uh, I, I presume sets up the plot for the finale, you know, for the final three episodes as well. So yeah, I, I really like this a lot. And like you mentioned, no, there was like really none of the overt quirkiness that, right. that kind of turned me off last time. Totally agree. So we open here, very interesting, right from the start. I think I was texting you last night going like, man, I have so many notes <laughs> and mm -hmm. we're only like five minutes into the episode. <laughs> so my first note is we see Petey's chip being hung on a gold chain. And I can't help but think about looking at this like a crucifix. So more religious iconography here. And uh, we see that this is uh, Harmony hanging this on a chain on her neck. So it makes you wonder, you know, is Petey the Christ figure in this case, you know, the sacrifice mm -hmm. to uh, salve, to save everybody. And then I, it makes me think once again, maybe she is, you know, my theory last week, you know, if PD is the Christ figure and this is a new religion, maybe she is the first apostle in a way. So I'm like, oh, maybe my theory is right. But then no, we see her like in front of this temple to cure well you got the religious vibes right though oh yeah absolutely yes i agree <laughs> but you know as far as like seeing pd as this um new um prophet uh you know, like, yeah yeah mm -hmm. exactly i think that uh kier is the, the messiah she's a true believer and apparently a, <laughs> and, and a couple of things here you know she's chanting these sayings that like, you know from the handbook and tame enemies are tempers for serve thee evermore. Place in me the values nine, that I may feel thy touch divine. Unlike those people who don't have an external culture to lean into, like these those innies, she is obviously not severed and she is uh fully committed to this uh this religion or dogma at least we see some of the things inside of her shrine 
One is where you will never progress in perfecting your imperfect self until you dot, dot, dot. It literally has dot, dot, dots in it. So I found that interesting. I hadn't picked up on that. But more pressing and maybe more important to the plot is we see a bracelet and the bracelet, a medical bracelet, and it says Charlotte Cobell. So yes, a, yes, a daughter, a mother, maybe we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. So then we find Mark is looking for the cell phone, waiting for it to ring. It does not. You know, I had mentioned earlier that, you know, he's definitely going to be answering that phone call at some point. But early on here, that obstinate self of his, that 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 one that is keeps doubling down on this potentially bad decision that he made to sever himself, he backs up the car, takes the battery out of the phone and throws it into the garbage can. And just as a side note, I don't understand, given what happens later in the episode, what the garbage pickup situation is in this town. What type of day does it happen? I didn't understand why things could happen the way they did, if you know what I'm saying. But we'll get to that. That's actually a really good point, right? Because, um, yeah, because he's- he That was, trash you know, should have been long gone. <laughs> exactly. He literally complains to her that you have to put the trash out the you know, night before. So if this is not the night before, then right. when exactly is the trash coming? In the middle of the yes, night, maybe? Exactly. Next, we see Bert and Irv have found another room, or at least Bert had found it earlier. And this is actually a really nice scene. Bert's found this garden and is sharing it with Irving. It's very sweet. Yes, it was very sweet. Even given my unsettling feelings about Mr. Walken, I still found it very sweet. And once again, going back to what I said about Walken as an actor, I think they, you know, he has turned down and in these moments, he's turned down his, you know, the stereotypical Walken performance here. And uh, especially sweet where, you know, he holds his hand and he's okay with that. Irving's okay with that. He's not ready to be more affectionate than that. But Bert says to him, will you just stay here with me? And I thought that was Mm -hmm. very nice. I I thought so too. I also thought maybe they should have a bench in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's, well, that's the thing about it. I don't think that is supposed to be a garden for the employees. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I think it's just like another one of the, it's like the goat room, right? And you were right, that's by fair. the way, you, you were correct that it was a goat. I kept saying it was a sheep, but it was not as a goat. And you were correct. Yeah. That you know, that actually brings me back to my childhood growing up, going to India every other year where there was a lot of livestock on the streets. And that's why I know a goat when I see one. My parents, I mean, my grandparents were farmers and we had goats, so I should have done a better job. Well, then you had no excuse. We both grew up with goats. I did not realize we had that commonality. We used to drink goat milk. That's how much goats we had. So Yeah, I'm not sure what animal the Indian milk came from, but it was very lumpy. Very, very lumpy. (laughs) We had to boil it. We had to to, uh, pasteurize it ourselves. Mm -hmm, Same. And they said that they strained it, but I don't know what kind of strainer they were using because it was very lumpy even in the end. We used to just skim it. We didn't even, so it was definitely lumpy. Maybe that's what they were doing. I mean, I was a kid, so I don't really know. Maybe they were just skimming it. (laughs) So that aside, I should have done a better job of identifying the goat, but I just thought they were cute little (laughs) lambs, lambs, and which we also had. We did have lambs, not as many as the goats. So then we see Devin is leaving the birthing retreat and she runs into Gabby again. We knew that was going to happen. Who kind of blows her off. She's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> Seems like, like she never met her before. I mean, honestly. Well, she knows who she is, but she's kind of just giving her this look. And at first, I thought that she was blowing her off, like kind of like you're beneath me or something. But then it seems like, and tell me what you think about this. It seems like she's kind of like, don't come down here. My husband is here. It's kind of something like that. Because the husband kind of takes too much of an interest 
in them interacting, didn't you think? I definitely got a don't come down here vibe for sure. Uh, (laughs) Whether it was because of the husband or something else, I'm not sure because there were also other weird things going on, right? With the baby's name was supposed to be William, but then it ended up being Bradley, something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like, don't come down here because then the jig is up or don't come down here because my husband's a crazy person. I'm not sure, but it was definitely don't come down here. And I did like the fact that Devin's constantly, she's like, you're not going to ignore me. I'm coming down there. <laughs> that, that new mom desperation to just right. have some company setting in just in the first couple of days. <laughs> exactly. It's oh, another grown up. I need to be over there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, especially when the only other uh, alternative she has is her husband. <laughs> yeah. A little hard. He's a lot. Yes. And then, like I mentioned, she goes down there. She reintroduces herself. Gabby, they talk briefly. They talk about how he's changed his name for whatever reasons. And then we see that Angelo Arteta, uh, her husband, comes over and that he uh, is kind of very strange. His interactions is very polite, but at the same time, like, who are you? How do you Mm -hmm. know Gabby? You know, there's a lot of questions and just kind of, yeah, we got to go. It's a very like mm-hmm. Kurt, but in a very courteous way, he says very strange behavior. Agree. And then much later in the episode, Devin actually does her research. She tries to find Gabby, can't find her on Facebook, or she finds a private account on Facebook, but just starts to investigate the husband. Turns out that he is a local politician and that he's been- Vocal. Yeah, vocal, but also I think probably like is part of this whole severance movement is something that he's been a big advocate for. Mm-hmm. And I have another note here. I just loved the way that this was photographed, by the way. I love this. You know, there's a lot of snow in all the scenes mm-hmm. we've seen so far. And I like the the women, like in their black jackets, almost like these spots on this like white canvas. Reminded me of Fargo, but it has its own flavor going for it. Little people in this like kind of white uh, wash in the background. Just I like the way the kids playing was shot mm-hmm. too. Yes. I thought it was yep. very pretty. Yeah, you know, setting of tone and just the way that you frame these people, the little players on this big background. Then we see Rickon's book. We hear more of Rickon's book. Oh, boy. What does camaraderie mean? Most linguists agree it comes from the Latin camera, which means a device used to take a photograph. And of course, the best photographs are in groups of happy friends who love each other deeply. But I think camaraderie is more than smiling together in photos. It's standing together in hard times. It's recognizing a common struggle in another person and reaching out to offer them a loving hand. This is definitely emboldening these innies to become more rebellious, for sure. It's going to be their manifesto. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh, I do like this whole interaction that Dylan seems very skeptical of the fact that every time that Irving is talking about Bert, he has this kind of like loving, dewy look in his face. And then Mark is talking about Helly and Helly and him mm-hmm. are kind of bantering back and forth. And he's called him dewy mouth, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> uh, but there is a little flirtation going on there too between Mark and Helly. And like I said, Dylan's not having any part of this. <laughs> he doesn't like this. He's not like a uh, slavishly following the handbook. He just feels left out, right? The work is mysterious and important. That's good. That sounds just like me. <laughs> I know. Back to work, slackers. 
Grace Care. Hey. Are you fraternizing too? What? No. I I'm a leader who cares about his employees and takes their requests seriously. Really? Yeah. Look at you, all dewy mouth. You never smile at me. He's right, Mom. You are sparing with the facial encouragements. That's ridiculous. I smile all the time. Hey there. What are you all talking about? Well, he's into, um, and I can't remember her name, the one that was offering... Oh, Miss Casey. ...would yes. offer Halle a hug. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Although she does not reciprocate at all. And I thought it was a cute exchange of like, oh, I wore this great shirt for her. And Halle's like, the person who picked that shirt has no idea that Miss Casey exists. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, because, but maybe love transcends severance, perhaps. I mean, but maybe it does in right. some way, right. you know? I do think we see here uh, later on that we are seeing what's happening to the innies is branching over into the mm -hmm. alleys. And, uh, and, I'll, and we can mm -hmm. talk about that because I think there's a few examples of that later on. Speaking of Miss Casey, we find out that she's in the break room. She's been there all day. Yeah. And that it is Mark basically tries to do the chivalrous thing, as uh, you know, Harmony says, that uh, he says, why is she getting punished for something I did? Harmony's telling him that that is... That, you know, that it's not his decision to make and that, you know, that there's rules to be followed and she broke the rules regardless of anything else. And then she even kind of compliments him going, chivalry is not, you know, part of the, you know, one of the nine virtues or whatever this thing is. But she still says, nonetheless, it is sweet. But then she turns on him because he says, by the way, what do we do here? And, mm -hmm. um... Oh, not a core principle, but sweet. Who won't you go to the break room for? She's just a wellness counselor, Mark. Yes, but she shouldn't be punished. I mean, I thought Helene needed a walk. I mean, I'm allowed to do that. Just a walk? Yeah. Or were you sniffing around other departments while your department falls woefully below quarter? She almost died. It's not your job to play nursemaid to every new refiner. Okay, so what is my job? Are you really asking me that? Yeah. What is it we actually do here? We serve care, you child! And until you get that through your mildewed little brain and hit quota, MDR's hallway privileges are hereby revoked. So get your little ass back to your desk and stay there until you're told to move. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is her as a manager yelling in his face or if she's just a really true believer, but it, it, I, this is a little frightening, her reaction. Well, I was wondering after you saw that, whether you still have that same position that maybe she's somehow on Mark's side or working to expose something. Yeah, I, I reversed myself on that. I mean, I already had reversed myself on that when I saw that shrine to Kier. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of the episode. But this is just doubling down on that. But it does make me really wonder about what was happening. Like, she has allowed this circumstance to occur. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about what is and isn't allowed in this scenario, what is and isn't being watched, what is and isn't being heard. 
because at some points it seems like everything is being heard, watched. Other points, it seems like they have a little bit of free reign. And right. it's kind of confusing to me whether there are actual consistencies there or this is in service of the plot. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Considering the housing is theirs, there's really no reason they can't they can't be snooping them on them inside the house. But right, or this to, like wandering yeah. into the garden room, wandering into the goat room. Right. Uh, all of it seems to me like very inconsistent with other things that they clamp down on immediately as soon as they see someone do it. And maybe there is a rhyme or reason to it and it's just not been shown to us yet. But to me, it just seems very inconsistent. That's why I wonder the whole thing is maybe is a psychological experiment because maybe they are being watched in their own homes. And that's just part of mm-hmm. the experiment as well, right? Because like you said, it's strange that they would be so invasive to everything they do in the office. They know exactly what rooms they're going into. They know everything that they're doing and they're watching them constantly. And then they, you know, he could have PD staying in his house and everything and no one knows about it. It seems a little- Even within the office, why are some things allowed and some things are not? Like, I just don't feel there's enough consistency there. Right. You know, Irv can wander off and fraternize with Christopher Walken and nobody really seems to care to some extent until they do. And it just, the guidelines are not clear to me, but maybe, maybe there is a method to it. Uh, And as part of this, you know, this blow up that she has with Mark, she tells him that there's no hope, weight privileges until they hit their quota because they're falling behind. And it does seem like they have not been doing much macro data refining recently. And then Mark at first, he's doing his traditional Mark thing. And he's saying, see what you did? No more hallway privileges. We got to hunker down and do our work. And it really seemed like he was going to go back into his shell there. But then he immediately reverses himself and he goes, nope, Irv, how do we go see O&D? And they wander over to O&D. And I found this very funny, by the way. Heli says this is the most, she's intimidated because she says this is the most people she's ever seen. <laughs> and I'm like, that's true. <laughs> she's only been in the room with four people. She's never seen more than four people in the room together. So, yeah. I also thought, I, I hope they were going for humor with the way their walk down the hallway was shot. Um, because I thought it was very funny. Strutting down the hallway, it reminded me of Office Space. Uh, have you seen that, right? It's so old. It's from so long ago, but it's it really slow-mo. is a classic. Yeah. Ron Livingston is working his office job, but he's decided to rebel and they play that. God, it feels good to be a gangster. Right? <laughs> While he's doing his little white collar rebellion, it had that feel to it for me. And that might be a reference point, actually. You're right. Milchick sees this happening and he says to Harmony, are you seeing this? What are we going to do? So, you know, they start, everybody starts panicking because I think that's the interesting thing about the show as well. And it goes back to maybe some of the points you were making before about the amount of control they have over these people, that so much of control in general and in an office space or any kind of hierarchy, it really means that, you know, you have to yell at somebody and say, do this, and then they do it. So much of that is yeah. like, uh, you yeah. know, like, but, but, you know, when a police officer says, do A, B, and C, and then people do it, so much of it is just them being told to do it, because a lot of that stuff they don't actually have to do. <laughs> you know, they don't mm-hmm. have to actually let someone in your house if uh, they right. don't have warrant. a warrant. Yes. On the one hand, you can take them one at a time and say, we're going to put you in the break room. But if they all just w- get up and start walking down the hallway, what can they really do? Like tackle them to the floor? <laughs> like, you know, so. <laughs> 
which would seem like an overreaction, at least at this point. So then we go into O&D. Uh, there was a mention earlier, a couple of funny mentions, by the way, that Dylan has earlier. One is that he mentions that they manufacture things there, or actually, I guess Bert, I mean, I guess Irving had told him this, and he doesn't really know why they're manufacturing things, although we do see the manufacturing stuff when they get to O&D. Another very funny thing I thought was that Dylan is talking to um, Heli and saying, uh, so what did you guys, what were you guys up to? You and uh, Mark, what are you guys doing? What's going on over there? And she goes, well, you mean when we ran into the baby goats? And she goes, do you think baby goats means that you know, we were hooking up with each other? And he's like, no, does baby goats mean you guys are family? <laughs> so I thought that part was funny. But when they get to O&D, it turns out that they are manufacturing once again. And one of them is a watering can. Yes. And they mentioned, well, this is pretty innocuous because last week they were manufacturing hatchets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they immediately get shushed. Like, you know, you're not supposed yeah. to be talking about that, so. But it which brought questions. me back to the goats right the whole <laughs> right. idea of like well what would you need the hatchets for <laughs> i was thinking the same thing i'm like are they butchering the goats right it's possible. <laughs> and then they have an interesting moment where this is like this is like a union <laughs> a slow motion union movement or something very smartly i think you know mark inspired somewhat by rickon's writing he is using Kier's writing against this segregation of the groups saying that Kier says that enlightenment is above all and you know he gets correct that it's beyond all <laughs> but mm -hmm. but the sentiment is correct mm -hmm. and says you know if in, if illumination is above all lumen by the way right meaning light if that's the case then why not for the workers why won't they tell us what we're doing here what, what are they so afraid of if the egan philosophy is illumination above all illumination beyond all but yes. Then why doesn't that include us? Why are we down here still working in the dark? That was poetic as shit, man. Thanks. Mark is right. He is. He is. Irving, here. Would want us to feel the warm embrace of knowledge and truth that way we could be true partners in his teachings. Exactly. I think, as the two department chiefs, Mark and I should make contact with his goat department, see what they know. To which Bert agrees, and uh, Irving's even a little, he's like, You do? He's a little surprised by this. Mm -hmm. They even mentioned like we should go to the other department and find the goat guy <laughs> and bring, bring him in on this too. It's like the only, it's like the only other person they know in the place. <laughs> and that's where Milchik comes and kind of puts a the kibosh on this. However, and I have to go back. I forgot to do this. I wanted to go back and see what was printed on that card. Dylan sneaks out a card that was printed. Yeah, they were definitely drawings of figures that yeah. seem to be illustrating different types of movements yeah. of some sort but yeah i couldn't really put my finger on it it looked like maybe like a karate chop type situation it wasn't unclear to, it wasn't clear to me yeah it didn't look that important but apparently it is because we'll see something pretty crazy happens right <laughs> i was kind of yes. shocked by this moment i was like whoa like yeah. wow i was not expecting this to happen and it's pretty cool what happens in a few more scenes here Milchik is finally putting his foot down and sends Mark into the break room where he runs into Casey, right? They actually pass yes. this very narrow. Very narrow. 
yes. Very uncomfortable to have to pass that close together when you barely know each other. And then we cut from the break room to Mark is on a date now with Alexa, the doula. And I'm so happy that we were skipped the misery of seeing yes. what happened in the break room. We saw the consequences a little bit, but I was very thankful that we didn't have to go through that whole Scientology audit right. consequence process again. I did have a question, though, for you. What is up with his hand? How did he get bruises on his hand? From the, well, from the break room. Yeah. But how did that happen? How does the break room give him break? How does I don't know, you... man, and I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I don't believe the procedure should give you marks on your hands or whatever, unless they added another torture to it. But I do wonder if, did he like punch the glass or something? Like, did he do something in the break room? Mm, That's what I'm curious about. Good Um, question. Not that, you know, like if like, let's say they are just wrapping his knuckles, like literally like, you know, a kid in school. That was my initial reaction, but you make a good point. But uh, but if that's the case, you're right. I would not want to see him get wrapped on the hand a hundred times. But if uh, if it's something, if he did something else out of ordinary there, that would be interesting to to see what was happening. He is much happier. This is maybe the first time I think that what's happening internally, that rebellion, is helping him on the outside. Mm-hmm. He seems just have much better spirits. He's not getting wasted while he's talking to Alexa. He talks about his uh, ex-wife, uh, his uh, uh, who passed away, uh, Gemma. And uh, he seems comfortable talking about it. He doesn't seem to be dealing with it as badly as he was just a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really cute date. And he actually yeah. makes a really clever joke. Alexa, is that her name? Yeah, Alexa. Uh, is trying to commiserate with him or empathize with him is a better mm-hmm. word about what he's going through. And she says, what are you going to do? It's not like you can just split that part of yourself off. <laughs> and he says, like, actually. <laughs> right. Which I thought was very cute and lighthearted. This is such a reversal to their previous episode, right? Where he gets drunk. He forgets everything she tells him. He, and in this case, he's telling, you know, getting into personal details of his life. Their interactions are much more pure. He's lighthearted. Just another one as a mirroring, he gets into a fight with those kids uh, about this and here he's making a joke about it right so it's like he's it's such a reversal to what it's we saw like the exact opposite right. of the previous date and that gets him a little uh action that night <laughs> <laughs> but you're skipping you're skipping we are we are skipping. <laughs> but um uh yeah before that you're right okay we'll get back to their date actually yes because there's so many things that happen here in the middle that we so i don't want to so just much. yeah so first of all is yikes what what a terrifying scene this is miss selvig shows up Holy and it's cow. not even it's not even that she is infiltrating their house mark has suggested her it's like so nefarious which also i was kind of like i don't understand i cannot keep up i thought she owned a bakery now she's also a lactation <laughs> consultant she's everything right I, I cannot figure that out. No, I mean, you're not the only one. When Mr. Grainer, the security guard, shows up later on, he's like, what are you, some nurse now? <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> so everybody's confused by this whole thing. He's like, what are you now? You're a nurse? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, that was actually really, really funny. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she shows up. She's like soothing the baby and seems like she's gotten that job. And that is very terrifying. (laughs) And also, I don't know that she's qualified to be a lactation consultant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a serious thing. You got to know what you're doing. (laughs) Exactly. But maybe she does. I mean, who knows? Who knows what her life was? Maybe she does. So we go from this moment where I'm literally just like, oh, no, (laughs) baby in danger. Oh, no. Like right away. 
And then I go to this, the next scene is mind-blowingly crazy. We see that Dylan, any Dylan is activated inside his house. They've activated him outside of the office, which is crazy. Insane. And he's inside his closet. He's like freaked out. He's like, is this my closet? But the craziest nice thing. closet. I mean, it yours is. is probably even nicer, but I live in <laughs> I New York City and I, I do not have a nice closet. So I was envious. Yeah, no, he has a very nice closet. He's like, wow, is this my closet? He's like so distracted by being inside his house and like not being in the office for once. Because think about it. Like he's probably just wrapping up his work that he stepped onto the elevator and now he's inside his closet. That's his very next memory is him stepping onto the elevator and then he's inside the closet in his house. He must be so utterly disoriented. And the, the craziest thing that happens here is first of all, is we find out that the card is a big deal for some reason. Once That's again, apparently a, look a at huge deal. And they're freaked out that he might've smuggled it outside. That's their concern. If it's inside the building, it's okay. But, and he says, no, no, no. I just tucked it away in like the bathroom. And on the one hand, I thought to myself, why wouldn't he smuggle it out? But then I'm like, no, of course the Innie and the Audi can't communicate. So like the Audi might just like reach into his pocket, see this card and be like, what is this crap? And throw it into yes. the garbage. So the Innie, so he knows he'll have it the next day, has to hide it somewhere inside this, right? I also don't know if that would qualify as something that would set off that elevator security alarm. Oh my God, you're absolutely, no, but how, that's a good question because- I mean, it doesn't have writing on it, like letters, but it does have a drawing. Good point. Wow, you have a good point there. Yes, because there's the drawings, but not the, but maybe it's only the words, right? That are a problem, but who knows? Maybe, but it seems like you could, if you were a decent artist, you could draw something that (laughs) depicts your situation. That's true. (laughs) That's a good point. Very good point. And, uh, but it makes it sound, but you know what? You're probably right that that is something you can't smuggle out. Because then why would PD have not smuggled out the map? map right? Like right. he could have done that with a drawing without any words and you know, you know left it blank and then figured right. it out later. Right. Milchik is so relieved, like, oh good, the, the car didn't leave the building. But then Dylan's son runs in and Dylan's like, Oh my god, I have a son. Milchik's such like such a cute up. kid, first yeah. of all. Such yeah. a cute kid. What and also watching? counts very much the same way that my kid counts, which is the numbers are roughly related to each other, but they're not necessarily right. in a direct sequence and they're not necessarily real numbers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. For a second there, I thought it was Dylan as a child that he was having some kind of- I thought memory. so too. I thought it was like some kind of flashback because all of his cells were merging somehow. He, this is very interesting. He says that when he goes into the break room, um, he says, remember, Helly says, what's that voice, the angry man outside? And he goes, oh, you mean the child, the kid um, talking outside? And now I'm wondering, like, is Dylan having a memory in the mm. break room of this experience, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't think of that. And does Helly have, who knows, an angry husband <laughs> right. at home or something? Who knows? Anyway, so we see his son runs in and he like literally grabs him and he's like, oh my God, I have a son. Of course, Milchik freaks out and is like, pull the plug, pull the plug. But of course, guess what? Dylan is going to have that memory tomorrow and that's going to fuck with his head like significantly, really bad. Okay, but not only that, then when they go back to the outside version of him, why is he not completely alarmed that there is a stranger in his closet with him? Oh no, because you have to assume that he has walked into the closet with him so remember he said that he he told the son count to a thousand or ten thousand or whatever it was, some crazy number. My assumption is they showed up at the office. So Milchik has interacted with Dylan at home, right? Because the out the Audis have obviously we, we saw like mm. Kelly talking to Milchik, right? When she came in for the first day on her Audi. He's your person that you interact with on the outside. Milchik shows up in the middle of the night, says, 
we need to ask you some questions. Is there a private place we can talk? Hmm. Uh, tells the son to count to a thousand. They go into the closet. And now think about it from that experience, he would have turned on any Dylan. No, that that all is fine. I had not put together the outside version of Dylan also knows Melchick. I had forgotten about what we saw with Heli. Yeah, I think uh, Melchick is like, like that. the onboarder in both sides. I right? see. Okay, that makes more sense then. So yeah, this whole scene was nuts. <laughs> and uh -huh. I just, I couldn't not think of what is Dylan's reaction going to be in the next episode where right. he's like, wait a second, like I have a kid, like holy cow. I just think it's so dangerous to have ever activate the innies on the outside world, right? Like as soon as you open this world to them, yeah. it is a huge can of worms, right? For sure. And talk about fomenting potential revolution, you know? Mm -hmm. So then back to Mark and Alexa's date. And uh, they seem to be heading their separate ways, although they've had a really nice night. And, you know, they really don't have an excuse to extend it until Mark says, hey, wait a second, this band's playing. And it turns out, we you said last week that you, or, or, that you were hoping to see June again. Yep. And you get to see her again in uh, a Yay. band, not a very good band. <laughs> not, not, sure know, kind of, not sure what genre of music this is. It's not heavy metal. It's not punk rock. I'm not sure what genre it is, but it did remind me a little bit, uh, personal anecdote time, <laughs> yes. of the shows that you and I used to go to CBGB's, at CBGB's, yeah. yep, right. downtown, where... You know, I went for the experience of it, and I'm sure some people like the music that was playing, but to me, it sounded very much like the music that we heard in Severance. <laughs> I would argue, as a connoisseur of that kind of music, I would say they're not that good, but uh, but hey, to each their own. They do have that wonderful, uh, what is it, Lumen Fuck You song? Or F Fuck yes, You, fuck you exactly. Lumen. Yep. <laughs> very easy to sing along to. <laughs> I think we, uh, I think we, when you, you and I went to CBGB, I think Skin Yard was we were there to see actually. So maybe I'll put Skin Yard in. one of the times there were multiple cbgb's yes trips, but that was definitely one of the times yes so go see the band you know he does talk to june briefly but mm -hmm. then a fight breaks out so i was hoping this interaction would be a little bit bigger but maybe she'll be back even more than this to be honest i have to assume that they brought her back once they'll probably bring her right back. i agree i feel like she will be and this is when alexa leans in and kisses mark and then we cut to them in bed together mm -hmm. and he's waking up in the middle of the night and he's thinking about that phone again. You know, once again, this the Audi is getting emboldened by what's the revolution that's happening inside, I think. That's what we're seeing here. Right, because on their last date, he certainly wouldn't have been singing along to Fuck You, Lumen. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And at first you see it, like I have to give credit for the writers and the director, but also to Adam Scott's performance, where there's that part of him. You see these battling parts of him where he's kind of like, frowny faced and he's oh it's the whole anti-lumen thing again 
And he's like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you, Lumen. <laughs> so, there is something inside me that wants to say that. Yeah, right, exactly. And I, I actually think earlier in one of the first episodes, I had made the comment that I think this is the worst Adam Scott has ever looked. <laughs> yeah. And I actually felt like there was a big improvement to his appearance yeah. in this episode. Like he just, you know, he looks a little bit more pulled together than he had in the previous episodes. Yeah, and that might be in the performance, but it could also be in the styling that they're like, you know, just... Right, you know, exactly. Yeah. So he does go outside and for whatever reason, he forgot it was a holiday or something. The garbage didn't get picked up that day. <laughs> exactly. What on earth? Because really, why are those cans still there with the trash in them? But okay. But luckily, they didn't pick up the trash that day. Yes. And, <laughs> and he, fit the, you know, uh, ferrets around inside of there and he finds the phone and the battery. I thought he'd take it out the chip. I didn't realize it was the battery. At first, I thought he'd taken out the chip. He's like, I'm like, he's never going to find that chip in the dark. <laughs> that <laughs> garbage tiny. <laughs> but it, was just, it was just the battery. So, and uh, puts it back in and the phone starts ringing immediately. Mm-hmm. And we suss out or infer here that this is Ragabi. And I forgot to mention at the very, very beginning, but at the one of the very first things that happens in this episode is that at home, Harmony, before she's in front of her shrine, she receives a call from the security guard, Grainer, and he is saying, I think we found out who did the PD procedure. It's a terminal inside our building. It's, you know, like there's a time, there's a code on the whatever software she's put into the chip. There's like a, a terminal code in it and it's a terminal code from inside Lumen. So they know it's somebody inside the building and they think it's potentially one of these, I assume, engineers that has rebelled called Ragabi. And then at the end of the episode, we see that not only does Adam Scott get this call and this female voice on the phone says, can you meet me now? And he apparently leaves Alexa alone in the house and heads out um, to meet up with Ragabi, who apparently is on a college campus next spot and nearby. And we find out that because almost at the same time, Grainer is at Harmony's door. And that's mm-hmm. the funny interaction where he uh, has to like, what are you, some kind of nurse or something? Because she's in her, still in the nurse outfit from mm-hmm. earlier in the night, but fills him in on the fact that he thinks he's identified where she is, that there's somebody staying on part of the campus in some isolated area, and he thinks that's where she's set up. And he asks Harmony if she wants to come with him to go catch her in the act. And Harmony says, no, she's staying behind because apparently she is remotely supervising some additional security that's being done inside the building, which is the second cliffhanger we have this episode, mm-hmm. to find out what's happening there, because it looks like they're going to have potentially the phasers on the doors between, you know, so they can't go back into the hallway. Like, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's very strange. And I guess we'll find out soon enough. Mark heads out to somewhere, might be the campus, but some kind of industrial looking area. And he does meet up with this woman who we believe is Ragabi. And that's, that's where we leave things. We, you know, between, uh, oh man, double cliffhanger. One is what is happening Mm -hmm. in the building? Like what additional precautions potentially like trigger pain or something when they try to go into the hallways, they're going to be trapped inside those individual rooms. That's, that's horrible for them. And how Mm -hmm. are they going to rebel against that when they have such limited mobility? They definitely can't like finish their map or anything. If that's the case, of course, at the same time, what's happening on the outside, right? Where, what is probably in the very next scene, what is Ragabi going to reveal to uh, Audi? Mark, so big, big things happen. Big, big things, absolutely. And that's where we leave it. It was a good one. Yeah, I'm very excited for where they have put things, uh, set things up for the next few episodes. And I've heard early on that this was a show that got 
like action packed towards the end. And this would not be action packed as far as actual action. <laughs> but I felt like from the character interactions and from the story moving forward and just the different interdynamics between the characters, I thought all oh, this was really, really great stuff. I agree. Can't wait. That's why I like, you know, at the end, I'm like, I want the next episode right now. <laughs> this is where the binge model works. I want the next one. And right as as you pointed out, and we've noted before, there are no scenes. So there's right. like nothing to go on. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nothing. I do wonder if we do go and start seeing their outer lives. I would really, really like to see these people in their outside lives. Remains to be seen if that's going to be the case. Just of Dylan. So we got a little tiny piece in that way. So I would even just like to see a little tiny piece of everybody else's outer lives in a later episode that we just see exactly that, just these little clues as to what their outside lives are. Yeah, like, is there a family? Do they live in a house? Do they live in an apartment? You know, anything. I'll take anything. (laughs) Why is there dirt under Irving's nails sometimes? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so that's where we leave it. I did see Deep Water, by the way. Do you have any intentions of watching that? Uh, (laughs) 50-50. I, I actually just told Kim about it when she got home, like what happens in um, in that movie. And it's like, it's so bananas, the ending. In a good way? It's entertaining, but it's so silly. It's like the whole movie is so crazy. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you if you end up watching it because it's so bananas. The, sounds uh, like a good weekend movie, the way you're describing it. it sounds oh, like yeah. I mean, it, you will definitely, I mean, like, you know, it has, it's definitely sexy some places. It's, you know, re, like it's ridiculous. It's the first half of the movie, I think it's actually pretty good until it just gets stupid, like, like just so stupid. There's some of the decisions are like, why would you do that? Why would, like, it's, it's definitely not boring, by the way. So if you just want to watch it kind of mindlessly, it's definitely not boring. So I would definitely say that if you put it on, even if you don't like it, you're not going to be like, uh, I just saw a free guy on the airplane yeah. and uh, immediately forgot everything about it, like five minutes after <laughs> I watched it. And it was completely inoffensive, but completely forgettable right. in every way. This movie is like, after you watch it, parts of it, you're going to be like, well, that was good. And parts of it, you're going to be like, what? What was that? <laughs> what was that? Like, you're definitely going to remember watching this movie. You're like, remember the time Ben Affleck made that? movie and that girl he was dating and it's just so funny it's just so nuts but i really can't get into how the craziness of it until you actually uh i'm gonna try and watch, watch it, it this weekend yeah so maybe we could talk about it later just to talk about how yeah it is. something i did see which i think was very interesting by the way was that movie master came out and um really really interesting movie didn't you say it came out today it came out on Thursday, actually. So, oh, okay. I was like, wow, how did she manage to <laughs> grab all this in? Okay. I literally watched, I watched Severance and then Master right afterwards. But yeah, anyway, the Master movie I thought was very interesting. It is uh, Rebecca Hall is the first black master in a, uh, at a college in upstate, you know, a fictional college in like New England. And I don't know who I'd recommend this movie to, by the way, but I, <laughs> but it still is very interesting. I think it bites off a little more than it can chew at the end. But the reason I don't know who I would recommend this to is that this begins as a horror movie, a straight up horror movie. They talk about there might be a spirit of a witch and mm-hmm. we see these black women on this campus, uh, you know, which is, you know, has its own racial history, problematic racial history. And a lot of this, you know, bringing in black students and putting black people into positions of power is like kind of like a corrective, but they're surrounded by these kind of well-meaning, you know, white people. Like in a way, it reminds me of Get Out, where it's like these kind of Mm -hmm, liberals mm -hmm. who are trying to say the right thing, but like they're saying things offensive, unknowingly offensive, right? And then there's this whole code switching thing going on where 
Rebecca Hall is very proud to have this position. So she's trying to play the game and it's like, it deals with all these things really well. And, um, but it's very complex. It means like nobody is really off the hook for the politics of this. Like there's a really fascinating scene where there's a black teacher who's being accused of maybe bullying one of the black students. And they kind of are saying that she may not get her tenure because of this student complaining, making this complaint. And she also hasn't published enough papers. So on the one hand, she probably doesn't qualify, but on the other hand, they are kind of giving her, uh, you know, and it's all, almost all white people, obviously, who are making this decision. So they are kind of giving her a hard time. But then she throws in their face, like she like racializes it. And then they kind of like back off and give her the tenure after all. So it's like everybody is scarred by this bad interaction. So I find that very interesting. And they get into the ugliness of all that. But the film starts off as a horror movie and then it becomes like a thriller. And at the end, it is not a horror movie at all. It's a straight up drama. So it's strange. So I wouldn't, I couldn't really recommend this to a horror aficionado. But I think that the politics of it by the end, the script gets so messy. I don't even understand what the film is trying to say. And it's definitely trying to say some very big things, which I think is more problematic in a way. Like I kind of disagree with a lot of the positions the film might take by the end. Mm -hmm. But what I would say on the positive side is the performances are really great. Oh, and the filmmaker, this woman who wrote and directed this, the early sequences, the horror sequences are great. Like, I mean, this is, there's like a scene where she's, the, the girl, this young girl is having a nightmare that she's witnessing herself sleeping in the bed. And there's this monster, this witch climbing through the window while she's witnessing it from outside the room. It's like true horror imagery. It's like really, really well done. So I think she's got a lot of talent. I just think the script gets so messy by the end. I'm like, I don't even understand what it's trying to say anymore regardless it's the, i think it's very interesting but maybe not totally successful and um and like i said i don't know who i recommend it to by the time you get to the end and it just turns to a straight up drama and a lot of the horror may have been you know imagined that i'm like well horror fans are going to be disappointed in that but then on the mm. other hand if you're like more of like someone who's looking for a topical drama that's dealing with all these really uh dense issues maybe the horror would turn you off so i i don't know who this would be for in a way you know but okay but, uh, well it sounds like the answer is definitely not me. Uh, so <laughs> I would go with Deepwater over those between those two. Yeah, Deepwater is a straight up entertaining garbage movie. <laughs> That's right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just easier to watch regardless. And The Master is a movie that you'll definitely think about. But it's kind of like I said, it's kind of feels like it is not able to land a lot of the complexity mm -hmm. and really didn't need it honestly i think that you know if you just kind of i think the central metaphor that everybody's haunted by the racial and not just racial but like there's also this whole idea of like the salem witch trials and stuff so this oppression of women this oppression of minorities and the centuries old college is haunted by the the history that took place there and everybody's living in that that is an interesting metaphor and i just don't think that it you know can pull off that very ambitious thing by the end. But I'm very interested to see what she does next because I thought she was a very skilled director. Okay. Yeah, so that's my uh, my recent viewing. And Free Guy was totally forgettable. Can't even do a recap of it because I don't remember what happened. Like, so utterly forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds doing his usual thing. Lil Rel is in, uh, is in there and in Dark Water, uh, Deep Water, I should say. So he's in two movies I saw this week. Oh, 
He shows up a lot of places, I find. You know what? He is completely underused in both of those movies. And I was so disappointed because I'm like, oh, you know, he's such a breakout in Get Out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he's like in these two movies. And it's just like completely just like the best friend. Like, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is the best the guy can get. Like, this guy should be a star. So anyway, instead of get Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Cool. Talk to you later. Have a fun yeah. visit with your family. All right. Thanks. Thank you.